Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. I'd like to apologize ahead of time. Um, I'm feeling a little under the weather. I am, you know, one of the few people that has managed to get a cold in summer. But it's because I hang out with my nephews and toddlers are just just germ magnets. That's the only way I know how to describe it. So if you hear some sniffles, it's that. It's just all sniffles. Well. Fully vaxxed, though. I am drinking a truly grapefruit. So I apologize if, you know, I get wild on this episode. And then I have a... A lunchbox here with me that have some Michelob Ultra uh, oh my. seltzers. And might I say, the Michelob Ultra seltzers, if you've never had them, they are probably my top favorite. They have the least amount of flavor out of the seltzers. Least amount of bubbles. They're only 4%, but it's mostly just like you're drinking water. Doesn't make the tummy feel bad, you know? I drank a bunch the other night, got to that good level, and then I was like, you know what? I'm good. Tummy didn't hurt. No headache. No nothing. I would recommend. It's about the same price range as a Truly or a White Claw. Not sponsored, but I have been wanting to try it because the flavors intrigue me. And, uh, yeah, White Claws are just too bubbly for me. They will make me throw up. Sometimes, honestly, I might throw up just thinking about it. Let's not even. Well, I would say I've now tried both flavor packs of the Michelob uh, ones. The cucumber lime, that one's pretty gross. That one's in the spicy pineapple and peach pack. This one's my favorite. It has uh, citrus, mango, apricot, and mixed berry. But the flavors are really... I've no, I don't drink LaCroix, but I think it tastes more like a LaCroix than a, like a White Claw or something. So... Not sponsored, but we could be. But we could be. We could be. And if that doesn't work out with the Michelobes, you know, I've also been drinking a lot of Sam Adams Summer Lager and uh, Land Sharks. I, you know, I'm really getting into the summer beers. Please sponsor me. I enjoy both of those, so I will also accept a sponsor from either of those. So if you want us to get sponsored by these, just uh, rate, review, subscribe tell a friend oh follow us on instagram at gonna sound weird pod also been watching a lot of rupaul's drag race and this comes in well do you do you watch it sydney i do have you watched the season with chad michaels and sharon needles no oh well i watch it here and there do you think you're ever gonna watch it you might as well just go ahead because you've you've already built something up okay well so i just finished season four if you haven't finished season four this is a spoiler but a girl after this podcast's own heart has won season four. Uh, she won it in 2012, so most people will know that. Um, but she is a spooky drag queen. She comes in on the first day in a witch hat and, like, black outfit. And everybody's like, this bitch, she's never gonna win, blah, blah, blah. She was, like, my favorite. She was always doing, you know, crazy stuff, like, spooky stuff. Like, her last outfit of the season, she literally put octopus, like tentacles as her fingers like super cool and she won and i was like praise the lord she won so yeah sharon needles if you're hearing this you're probably not you are an icon and i appreciate that because you know 
most drag queens, you know, they're like pageant queen types. She was not at all. We stand a spooky bitch. I, yes, I'm I a do. Spooky bi- I'm a, listen, I'm a spooky bitch myself. I don't have as much star power as she might, but a girl can dream. I know. She's the only one. Most seasons, the one that I want to win never wins. She's the only one so far that I've actually wanted to win that one. So, I'm on season five now. So, if anybody's listening and likes RuPaul's Drag Race, hit me up. I love to discuss. Right now, the only person I discuss it with is my stepmom because she, like, she knows all of them. Like, she remembers all of them by name, everything about them. The only TV shows Taylor watches is RuPaul's Drag Race and 90 Day Fiance. So, <laughs> yeah. If you are trying to, you know, converse with Taylor regarding any sort of television program, it's going to have to be one of the two. And if it's anything else, you might as well just keep dreaming. And I've also started listening to a podcast where Latrice Royale and Manila Luzon discuss them said they watch Canada's Drag Race and then they discuss what happens on Canada's Drag Race. So I'm also listening to a podcast about drag racing. I would love to be a drag queen myself, but I don't think I'm allowed. Because she has no ass. That, but you can create an ass. This is true. This is true. Okay. Um, but this week's <laughs> theme, not about RuPaul's Drag Race. It's about spooky campfire stories. Spooky stories to tell around a campfire. Yeah. Uh Basically what I just said. Yeah, And this is a podcast if you're curious. This is not a podcast about uh, drag queens which you may be confused because there are podcasts out there like that. This is a podcast called This Is Gonna Sound Weird. It's a podcast about true crime, paranormal, uh, spooky campfire stories. As we will be discussing today. That's right. And I'm Sydney. And I'm Taylor. And uh, this week, I will be going first. Mm-hmm. As I went, uh, Taylor went first last week. So, I'm going to go ahead and go right into mine. Let me get my shit situated. I'm going to pull out a Michelob from my handy dandy Vera Bradley lunchbox. Alright. So, this week... I will be discussing the urban legend or creepy story of Cropsy. You ever heard of him? I've been crop dusted by him a time or two. <laughs> wow. So, my sources. TheLineup.com, CropsyLegend.com, Wikipedia, ThoughtCategory.com. Here we go. So, see, the, the legend of Cropsy is essentially staten island's version of the boogeyman uh and you know if you when i said cropsy if you didn't know who that was don't you know don't think you're dumb or anything uh i'm from the south and i had never heard of it until i listened to a podcast about him so you know location 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 Mm -hmm. so staten island's version of the boogeyman so parents would use cropsy to scare their kids into doing things like going to bed early or, you know, like doing their homework. Like, oh, you need to go to bed. Cropsy's going to get you. And the name Cropsy, like, no one really knows where it came from. But it pretty much has been traced back to New York in colonial times. 
but there's no concrete like source to say this is where it came from they just know people have been talking about this man for a long time so the urban legend of cropsy has been told in staten island for years cropsy was rumored to be an escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand who hunted children and dragged them back to the tunnels that lay under the abandoned Seaview Hospital, which was a former tuberculosis sanitarium. Which, the whole hook for a hand, I think, is just very similar to just the regular urban legend about Mm -hmm. a escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand. But this is very specific to Staten Island. And in one version of the Cropsy story, a man named George Cropsy goes insane after a prank gone wrong leaves him physically disfigured and he begins killing children at a local summer camp with an axe oh so there's a couple different versions of the story um and people you know like i said parents would tell a story to kind of frighten their kids into behaving but it was also just a great story for people to tell around campfires so like boy scouts would say it on camp outs over fires and s'mores and the story of Cropsy actually inspired a 1980s slasher film called The Burning. But, in the 1970s, Staten Island's boogeyman became a real-life killer. So, in 1972, Alice Pereira went missing after her brother left her home alone in the lobby of their apartment building while they were playing. So, basically, I guess they were playing in, like, this lobby where, like, I envision, like, a little, like, vestibule area, probably where, like, the stairs are. Mm-hmm. And maybe he had to go run upstairs and use the bathroom or something. And he came back and she was gone. Then, several years later, in 1981, seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes disappeared while walking home with her friend from the store. And witnesses claimed to have seen Holly being pulled into a Volkswagen before it drove off. Now, I would also like to say... What is with the 70s and every creepy man driving a Volkswagen? I just feel like maybe Volkswagens were just more popular. You know, it was like the Honda Civic of its day. Oh, no. Yeah, nowadays if there were serial killers, it would just be like Honda Civics or Nissan Altimus. Yeah, or just like a Camry. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's probably it. Um... So, two years later, in 1983, 11-year-old Thaisa Jackson went missing, followed by 22-year-old Hank Gaffroy in 1984. And the bodies of these children were never found. So, the town was already pretty, like, on edge. Mm -hmm. And then, in the summer of 1987, 12-year-old Jennifer Schweiger... I think is how you pronounce her, or Schweiger, left home telling her parents that she was going to go for a walk but never returned. And you got to remember, this is the 80s. Kids walk down the street all the time. Mm-hmm. People didn't lock their doors. Uh, so when Jennifer didn't come home, her parents alerted the police and a huge search party formed to find Jennifer. Police searched everywhere for Jennifer and eventually discovered a small foot sticking out of the ground. Mm. When police began to dig... They found Jennifer's body below the Earth's surface in a shallow grave, and police began searching the surrounding areas and discovered a makeshift campsite not far from where Jennifer's body had been discovered. 
The campsite belonged to Andre Rand, who was a former janitor and physical therapist at the Willbrook State School, which was a state-run institution for children with mental disabilities. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, I find it interesting that he was both a custodian and a physical therapist. Yeah. Um, Maybe they... I mean, I've worked... I've worked jobs before where we've been pretty short-staffed, but... Yeah, I was going to say, maybe they just couldn't find a custodian, and they were like, uh, you going to have to clean and be a physical therapist. Hate it for you. So. But the school was shut down in 1987 after it was found that those running the school participated in unethical practices. Many students suffered sexual and physical abuse as well as corporal punishment, which... You gotta also keep in mind, like, the way that schools, like, and, like, society treated people with mental disabilities was just so different. So, like, nowadays we understand, like, when someone acts out, they do it for a certain way and we, we don't punish them for acting that way. Mm-hmm. But they acted as just these these kids were being, like, rambunctious or rebellious and they were just, like, basically abused for not doing what they were told even though like they probably were being mistreated and not you know being like monitored the way that they should have oh yeah which even like I'll, I'll listen to a lot of podcasts sometimes and you know stuff will come up and they'll be like even just like kids getting like spanked in school even normal kids a lot of the podcasts will be like you know this is a really long time ago this would never happen like in recent years but if I'm being honest, my elementary school in the early 2000s in a very rural mountain town was still spanking people as punishment. So I think a lot of people think that, oh, this stuff doesn't happen anymore. It never happens. It's It probably still happens, and it still happened even when 100% I was like does. a kid, which most people I don't think it happened for. I think smaller towns are more left behind. But I remember in kindergarten, I literally saw... This is terrible. They took our entire class. The, like, principal's office was, like, glass. They took the whole class to watch one of our classmates get spanked to, like, teach us a lesson. And I was like, this does not seem right. (laughs) So, yeah. Which, it's funny that you say that, like, since you came from a small town. I did not come from such a small town. And we still had private schools. Mm-hmm. that spanked children uh-huh so because i remember i had a friend who she transferred there and they were like my mom was worried that her brother was gonna like get spanked because you know he was a little bit more rambunctious of course my friend whitney was like an angel so she would have been fine but yeah it still goes on that school still exists oh yeah and people get spanked mm-hmm. anyways so the school was found to have severe sanitary conditions um Sorry, unsanitary conditions, including overcrowding, unethical medical experiments, with many students being forcibly injected with hepatitis to study the disease, which resulted in many students becoming very ill. Yeah, basically what I think of is if you've ever seen, like, AHS Asylum, Uh like, the mistreatment of that and, like, the study of that. Yeah. Um, very, very similar to that. Uh, and despite these terrible conditions, the school remained operational for nearly 40 years because most of the public was unaware of the 
abuse that was taking place inside the school. Many students were abandoned by their parents and left to be raised by the school, meaning there wasn't really anyone looking out for them. That was until 1972 when a journalist named Geraldo Riviera published an expose that exposed what was going on within the school, which, you know, we live in North Carolina. There is a park in Raleigh. It's called Dorothea Dix Park, and it used to be um, the state mental hospital. And I actually took a tour of their grounds in college, and they discussed that how people would travel from all over the state, and they would just, like, open their car door and drop their kids off and then drive away. Uh And so, you know, people who worked there would find these children walking the grounds, and they wouldn't know who they are. They don't know where they came from. They don't know who dropped them off. And so there are all these unmarked graves in Dorothea Dix Park. It's something crazy like over 400 unmarked graves in this small field so um but yeah that's a little bit of north carolina history sorry that was so depressing Mm, but it's the truth yeah i've only been there a couple times um and i've never like had a tour or anything i did get lost in there one day with a girl who didn't know how to use a damn gps and we got scared because at nighttime it's a little spooky because some of the buildings are still there. And I was trying to get the fuck up out of there. A lot of the buildings are still there. You can go and take tours of it. Um, it's eventually supposed to be like a state park. But mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit of history for you. So once Rand's campsite was discovered, he was arrested in connection with Jennifer's death. Rand had already been convicted of attempted sexual assault on a nine-year-old girl back in 1969 and had been arrested in 1983 for kidnapping a bus full of children from a local YMCA. Oh, Lord. So, so he had kidnapped these children on this bus and drove them to Newark Airport for no apparent reason. Oh, yeah, what was he He never gave a reason as to... I don't know. But he, he never... Like, says, like, this is why I did it. So, Rain was also believed to be responsible for the several missing children that I mentioned earlier. So, none of their bodies were found, and there wasn't enough of evidence to arrest Rand. So, the only thing police had to go off of was that witnesses had spotted Rand with both Holly Ann Hughes and Hank Gaffroy before they both went missing. And detectives in the case speculated that Rand may have been involved in Satanism and provided the children as sacrifices. Now, I don't know about that, but this was the 80s when, like, you know, the satanic panic was really Uh kicking up. And basically, if you were already weird, they were basically like, well, you also probably worship Satan. We're just going to go ahead and throw that out there. But despite the fact that everyone believed Rand was responsible for Jennifer's death, there was not enough evidence to convict. So he was instead charged with kidnapping and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Mm-hmm. And then Rand was supposed to be eligible for parole in 2008. But in 2004, evidence leaking him to the disappearance of Holly Ann Hughes came to light. A fellow inmate of Rand took notes of the conversations that he had with Rand 
where Rand described in detail him kidnapping Holly. And Rand was once again convicted of kidnapping charges and given another 25 years in prison, making him eligible for parole in 2037 when he will be 93 years old. Uh, So in theory, he could get out. Yes, in theory, he could get out. We hope that he doesn't. Yeah, in probably, theory, yes. Yeah, probably not. I would say, I don't know, you know, if you're likely to live that long in prison just based on diet and health issues. I don't, I don't you know, I don't know because I feel like Charles Manson has lived like a billion years. Well, you know, they say evil people live longer. Oh, yeah. Only the good die young. That's what Billy Joel told me. I know. But yes, that is the story of the real-life Cropsy, a.k.a. the Staten Island Boogeyman. Oh. Well, I've heard of Cropsy before, but I didn't really know what it was. I just kind of heard about it. I would just hear about it, you know, connected to like a mental institution, kind of. I think I've mostly heard about it as just like an urban legend type situation. But that's interesting. Yeah, and I think that's really what it started off as was, mm-hmm. you know, just an urban legend to scare kids or, you know, to tell around a campfire. And then you have someone who actually worked at a mental hospital who, you know, was killing children and dragging them to tunnels below the city. Oh, and you're gosh. like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, thank you for that story on Cropsy. Okay. Are we ready for my story? Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Slash story. I'm ready to get spooked. I'm really ready to get spooked. I got a campfire going. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm going to go roast marshmallows later. So, I'm doing two stories. The first one is a short little ditty. The second one's a little longer. Um, so, my sources, though, are wikipedia.com, to hawaii.com, the legend of night marchers. TheDirt.com, the article was Freak Out Your Friends with These 13 Scary Campfire Stories by Thea Vortiristas. I'm not sure if I said that right. It was a very hard name to pronounce. And then the next source I'll kind of tell as I go into the story. So, my first story, which I've heard, we've all probably heard it, maybe of different variations, is uh, the story of the yellow ribbon. It uh, When I looked it up, it was from like a thing that was a spooky Wisconsin story. I did quotes around that. Um, and this version is retold by S.E. Schlosser. Uh, and I found it on AmericanFolklore.net. Uh, this was the specific version that I located. So... There was once a girl, her name was Jane, and she always wore a yellow ribbon around her neck, and she wore it every day, no matter what. Um, But, you know, after a while, it started to get on her best friend Johnny's nerves. He was like, hey, you know, why why you wear this ribbon all the time? Uh, But Johnny was Jane's next-door neighbor, and the two had known each other since Jane was just three years old. So, like, they'd been friends for a long time. And Jane had wore this ribbon around her neck ever since she was a small child, when they were young, Johnny didn't really notice it. It didn't bother him. But now they were getting into high school. He was, like, starting to get annoyed. He was like, you know, why you always got to wear this ribbon? 
It don't match all your outfits. Like, what's the deal? Mm. Um, it's getting dirty because you be showering with it every night. Uh-huh. He's like, girl, why don't you get a new one? Why don't you switch colors or something? Anything, please. Yellow's starting to get on my nerves. And at this point, he started to ask Jane, like, almost every day. He was like, why do you wear that ribbon? Why do you wear that ribbon? And he, and she would never tell him. She was like, you know what? It's none of your business. But even though Johnny was really irritated by this whole yellow ribbon situation, he thought Jane was real cute and he had a crush on her. So he started asking her on, like, dates. They'd been friends, but he started asking her on, you know, real dates. So they went to get ice cream. She would go watch him play in his football games. He started walking her home at night. And then he even asked her to the spring dance. And every time, you know, Johnny asked Jane out, she would say yes. And each time, she would start to wear a yellow dress to match the yellow ribbon. So at least, you know, she was trying. She was trying to do something. She knows uh, how to accessorize. Uh, yeah, yeah. At least on the date, she's not trying to, you know, wear yellow and red and look like mustard and ketchup or Ronald McDonald. Uh, <laughs> So, after a while, it became clear that the two of them were getting pretty serious about each other. Uh, But Johnny still was like, he didn't know why she wore this ribbon around her neck. And so, he asked her again. He was like, why do you wear this? She was like, you know, I can't tell you. And she would just say, maybe someday I'll tell you. But she was still not, not giving herself away. So, even though this answer didn't really satisfy Johnny, he got over it because he really, really liked Jane. You know, she was just the cutest girl in the world, even though she had this ribbon always around her neck. Uh, So, one day, after Johnny and Jane had been dating for some time, Johnny proposed and Jane accepted. And so, they planned a big old wedding. And Jane kind of hinted that on their wedding day that she was going to tell Johnny, you know, why she wears this ribbon on her neck. So he was probably like, oh, yeah. Like, that was the big news on the wedding day. Not what you usually would think. It's going to be, what's that ribbon about? But the wedding day came. And, you know, it's pretty busy. It's pretty busy on your wedding day. So Johnny forgot to ask Jane about the ribbon. And I said, well, I mean, you know, she could have taken some initiative and just told him. Like, as a wedding gift. Absolutely. But he didn't remember that day. But, like, a week or so later, he was like, oh, my God, I forgot. And then he asked her. Um, and he was like, you know, why do you wear the ribbon? We're married now. And she teared up and she said, we're so happy together. What difference does it make? And Johnny was like, you know what? You're right. You know, I don't want to push you any further. Uh, so whatever. So Jane and Johnny went on. Absolutely not. You are tearing me apart, Jane. What does the ribbon mean? I saw him saying, but you know, Johnny was a nice guy. He wasn't going to force her to do something she didn't want to. So, they ended up having two children. They had a good life together. But when their golden anniversary came around, I didn't look up what year the golden anniversary was. I forgot. I think it is the 50s, like 50 year anniversary. Okay, so they've been together for a while at this point. So, their golden anniversary came around. Johnny again was like, Jane, what is this ribbon about? And. He, this is the first time he had mentioned it since he asked after they got married. Like, right after they got married. So, he hadn't asked for a long time. So, when he asked, Jane gave Johnny a sad look and said, Johnny, you have waited this long. You can wait a while longer. And Johnny was like, alright, I'll wait. Well, the next year, Jane got really sick and she was really close to dying. And so, Johnny was like, hey... 
you know, what the hell's this ribbon about? Because, you know, he thought this might be the last time he's going to get to know. He's a man of opportunity. He and knows an opportunity uh-huh. he sees it. And he's like, listen, time's a ticking. So Jane looks at him with a sad smile and she said, okay, Johnny, you can go ahead. You can untie my ribbon. And at this point, I'm like, you ain't even going to tell him. You're just going to let him untie it and see what's under there. So Johnny reaches on, you know, over to Jane's little ribbon. He's going to untie it. His hands are shaking. He wor- he's working to untie this yellow ribbon. Probably crusty as hell. It's been on her neck since she was born. Ugh. Probably stinks. It probably stinks. She probably don't ever wash it. And when he untied the ribbon around Jane's neck, he pulls it off and Jane's head falls off. The end. <laughs> God. So Ugh. the whole the whole yeah. time the ribbon was holding her head on her neck. That story has always cracked me up because I'm like, there's so much build up to just have the bitch's head fall off. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I think about it. So, I'm pretty sure that that is in, like, scary stories yeah, to tell in the dark. I think so. And I be thinking about, she's lying on her deathbed. <laughs> you know, she probably at, she's probably in the hospital. Uh-huh. And he takes off the ribbon and decapitates her. Uh-huh. I bet you a nurse probably came in there thinking, you know, she's just got, like, pneumonia. Like, all old people get pneumonia. Uh-huh. And then here she, she the nurse comes bringing jello, some pudding. And the bitch's head on the floor. She's probably like, what the fuck? A murder has occurred. I'm just like, how is the ribbon holding her head on? I just don't get it. It just don't make sense. Who came up with this story? Um, I could not say. Uh, perhaps it's based on the true story. Did you do any research about that? No, I didn't. Um, I assume it's not based on every time I picture it, I picture the ribbon just being soaked with like neck blood, and everybody's Ugh. like, "Hey, you good? You good, girl?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm fine. Don't ask." <laughs> it's like when you're like sunburnt, and everyone can clearly tell you're sunburnt, and they're like, uh-huh. "Oh, you look really sunburnt." And you're like, "I fucking know." Why'd you ask again? Yeah, uh, you, yeah. you think I don't know that I'm sunburnt? Yeah, that was me when I went to the beach this past time, and my face was like, looked like a red tomato, and everybody's like, you look like you got a little sun, and I was like, yeah, no shit, my face is literally like, my skin is so stretched and peeling, I look disgusting. You gotta use the sunscreen, you wear a hat. I know. Uh, but that was my first story, well, you know, a little short one. Now the second one I have kind of heard of, but I wasn't, like, I think I've heard of it, but I didn't know too much about it. But anyways, it is the Hawaiian Night Marchers. You ever heard of it? Only because you told me that that's what you're doing. And I uh-huh. also saw it on that top town, that top 10 countdown uh-huh. on Google. So, you know, this one I feel like it's... You know, Hawaii is summertime. It's about to be summertime. This would be a good uh, summertime uh, bonfire story. Absolutely. So, in Hawaiian mythology, the night marchers are deadly ghosts of ancient Hawaiian warriors. And they are a vanguard for a sacred king, chief, or chiefess. So, the night marchers are said to come up from their burial sites. Or, they may rise up from the ocean on the nights honoring the Hawaiian gods Kane Kulono or the Knights of Kanaloa. So, 
they rise up on these nights and they're said to march in a large group to ancient Hawaiian battle sites or other sacred Hawaiian places. So it's kind of like these warriors like rise up and then they're like ghost warriors and they kind of, it's almost like they have a processional for like a chief or chiefess to like get them to a specific location is kind of what it sounds like. So the legend states though that the marchers are normal sized warriors. So they're not giants, which is kind of what I pictured. They're just normal sized. <laughs> uh, and they're dressed in their battle gear. They carry spears, clubs, and some carry and beat on war drums, while others carry conch shells that they blow tones from. And they do this to announce their march to the people around. And uh, it's good that they announce their march to you, and you'll see why later. So, as they march, though, they're suspended above the ground. So, their feet don't actually touch. They kind of, like, march on the air. And they leave no evidence of their march, I guess, because, you know, they don't actually march on the ground. And they begin their march in the darkness. So they'll start just after sunset and they'll continue marching until just before sunrise. But sometimes they can appear during the day if they're needed to escort a dying relative into the spirit world. So people who live along the path of the marchers may hear them chanting, may hear them blowing their conch shells. And hear the sound of them actually marching. You know, which is weird because they don't actually touch the ground. But that's neither here nor there. But you know, if the marchers are coming toward you, there are some signs that they may be coming. One of them is that you will smell a foul, musky, death-like odor. Which just sounds oh God. horrible. And you may also see torches, like, it'll look like a torch is coming toward you and they get brighter and brighter as the marchers come closer. So, ancient Hawaiian beliefs state that any mortal, so you know, just a human, who looks upon the marchers or anyone who is thought to be in defiance of the marchers will die in a violent manner. So, if you look at them, you will die. It's a good thing. <laughs> I, I will, I'm going to mind my business. So, you know, this is good um, that they say, like, hey, you know, they make noise to be like, hey, we coming, so you better not look at us. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. I'm hideous. Yeah. It's a great time to mind your own business. I try to mind my business as much as I can. But then on the other hand, I will literally stop breathing to hear a conversation. Like oh, the same. Eavesdrop. Same. I love to eat. But like I don't I won't look because I'm I'm worried. Like if somebody is like cussing out like a, a store clerk, I like wanna turn around and look, but I I, I can't do it. I can't make that eye contact because I'm worried they're gonna turn on me. Yeah, but also if you look, then they might just stop talking and then you've ruined the good gossip you might have gotten. This is true, this is true. But yes, I in college would sit with my headphones in and act like I was working on my laptop just to overhear people's conversations. Oh, I feel that. I love to eavesdrop. It's just, uh, it's in my family's blood. We love it. God. That and gossiping. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Favorite pastime. Uh, but, so, the best way to mind your business when these marchers come through is that you should lie face down motionless on the ground 
because it is thought that this will mean that you're showing proper respect, fear, and deference for the marchers, and that you will be spared from a violent death if you do this. Oh, God. So if you hear them coming, lay down on the ground. Don't say nothing. Lay very still. Just act dead. If you hear them coming, just plank. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much. Just plank. But probably not in a weird location. Like, not on top of the target ball. Just, like, on the ground. Yeah. Would probably be better. Um, you may also be spared, though, if... So if you see the night marchers coming, you could be spared if you're lucky enough to have an ancient ancestor who is marching within the group that recognizes you. And so as they march, if if it's your ancestor, they will yell out, Na'u. Which I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's N-A apostrophe U, so Na'u. Which means mine in Hawaii. So, you know, like, mine, mine, mine. Uh, it means <laughs> mine in Hawaiian. So that if they, like, recognize you, none of the other marchers will harm you if you accidentally look at them. So, like, if me or you Fair. goes to Hawaii and we hear the marchers, we know good and well. None of our ancestors are going to be there, so you better lay the fuck down. Like, if you're not a, a Hawaiian native, uh, and I'm talking a Hawaiian native who has lived in Hawaii, like, since the beginning of time, your family's been there, you better not look at them. I'm just going to go ahead and say that now. You better not look. Don't take a risk. Not Do worth it. it. It is not worth it. Okay. So, also, if there's barriers placed in the path of the marchers, it will not stop them. They will break right through. Which I'm like, they're ghosts. So, do they really have to break through? Or do they just walk through? Couldn't say. And, also, if your house has a front and a back door that are placed in, like, a straight line. So, I'm thinking kind of like a shotgun house situation, you know. They will use your house kind of as a pathway, and they will walk right through your house. So, that's unfortunate for you if your house is set up um, in such a way. Luckily, mine is not. I live in an apartment. They would get quite lost if they tried to uh, Uh walk through my apartment. Yeah. But legend says if you plant living shrubs, I don't know what that means, like maybe a bush, But if you plant living shrubs around your home, then it will keep away evil spirits and it will cause the marchers to avoid the area. Um, But each march is said to be different from the other because each march is customized to the likes of the leader that it's honoring. So if a king or a chief um, likes music, then the march would for sure include drumming, the chanting, the, you know, conch shell, whistling... Um, if the king or chief likes peace or quiet, though, then the march would be as silent as possible, which sounds dangerous because if they're being quiet and they walk past your house and you accidentally see them, then you're dead. Do you think you would still hear the shuffling of their feet, even though they would be hovering? Maybe. They said they would be quite as quiet as possible, so you might still hear a little bit, but like, if you're not paying attention, you might accidentally look. I think that, you know, I think you'll be all right because I think about like when you're in elementary school and your teacher asks you to be as quiet as possible, someone's always giggling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's if true. You're told, that's if, true. You're, if you're told to be quiet, you know you're giggling. So I think you'll be all right. Just you listen think, for giggles. You think these ancient Hawaiian warriors are giggling during their march? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because they've been, I mean, they've been hanging out with these people for eternity, you know, so surely they've had to make friends, right? You would think so. You would think so. I don't know what they'd be laughing about in the uh, ghost world. 
probably all these tourists planking on their target balls on their target balls um and if the king or the chief if they don't like to walk very much you know usually the king or the chief will march with the group but if they don't like walking then they'll be carried by some of the other warriors so basically just being you know they just want something special and the lore also states, or the legend states, that the king or chief that is being honored with the march, their body parts themselves are sacred. So you also cannot look upon the chief or the king or else you also die. Because if you look upon them, like I said, it equals instant death. Usually, the death is by bolts of intense light and flaming heat, which will shoot at you from the eyes of the marching warriors. So, like, if you oh look at the God. king, one of the warriors is going to shoot, like, fire laser beams at you. And when you're hit with this heat, you will be incinerated instantly, and your remain will dissipate into vapors, and you will cease to exist. Oh, God. So, yeah, you better be careful. But now some... I will be careful. Yeah. Now, some kings and chiefs, they only have certain body parts that can't be seen. So, like, some, their face can't be seen. Some, their back can't be seen. So, according to that, they'll walk, you know, they'll walk in the lineup based on what can't be seen. Uh, and some of them, their whole body can't be seen, so they'll march just right in the middle of the group. And some of these marches are so fancy. They get fancy that Hawaiian gods themselves will march. And during these, the torches are said to burn brighter than usual. So, if you see a torch that looks much brighter than usual, it's got, it may have a Hawaiian god. And when the gods march, there will be six, three of them male and three of them female, which I appreciate ladies represent. Um, Equality. Yeah. So if you ever think, you know, if you're in Hawaii and you hear something that sounds potentially like a lot of marching, um, never look at what you think may be marching, even if, you know, you think it might be the Camp Rock theme when they come in, you know, when they came in in Camp Rock. <laughs> it's... Not the not Demi Lovato. Don't look. Step step dance. Yeah, if you're at a resort and you think it may just be part of the show, just lay on the ground. Don't move. Uh, if somebody asks you what you're doing, say you don't know what I know, uh, and never interrupt them. So if you even if you do see them and you like don't die, don't interrupt them because you could end up dead. And that is the Hawaiian night marchers. Um, very spooky. You know, I was going to go to Hawaii for my honeymoon, but we decided not to because it's a long trip. But now, I don't know if I would want to go. I might run into these night marchers, and that would be horrible because I would probably accidentally look. Yeah, you're nosy. Um, <laughs> I just think about, do you think the night mo like marchers walk through Disney's Alani Resort? Because that's for sure where I'll be staying if I go to Hawaii. Well, I mean, I think I would think that they would take, you know, like, just ancient routes that they may have taken back in the day. But I don't think that it would matter, you know, whether or not Disney has a resort there or, if, you know, Marriott has a resort. They're going to take the same path. They don't care what's there. They're going to walk right through it. So if their path include used to include the Disney resort, then they're just going to walk right through it is what I Aww. would assume. Are are they resort guests? <laughs> when I need to call security, you you'll be dead. You won't be able to. Yeah, I, I heard, won't look. 
I've heard a podcast talk about them before and they interested me because it sounds scary. The part of them rising up out of the ocean, I just picture you like on the beach in Hawaii, like hanging out and then all of a sudden you see just like an army form from ocean water. It makes me think of, well, I'm going to ask you a question, Taylor. I think I know the answer. Have you ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean 2? Yeah, I have. I've seen the all one, of them. Dead Man's Chest? Yeah. The one with David Jones, where all of, like, the David Jones, like, crew members walk out of the ocean and onto uh-huh. the beach. That's yep. what I envision. Yes, yes, yes. Something very much, where they just walk out, and they probably got barnacles on themselves. Yep, yep. Yeah, I actually did watch all of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Not sure why. I don't think I would want to watch them now. I watched them, obviously, because I was obsessed with Orlando Bloom as a child, and then I rewatched them recently, and I'm not going to say they're bad. They're still pretty good, uh, but the CGI has not aged well. I just don't really like action movies now, which I never really have. Um, I don't know why I liked them when I was little. I think I just liked them because they were a little spooky, and I liked the ocean, and they were spooky, mm-hmm. but like kind of funny at the same time. Uh, and I liked the Kira Knightley. She was a badass. And I was like, this girl is, you know, sword fighting. That's badass. It just so. really confused me because probably the first two movies I saw with Johnny Depp was that movie and uh, Char- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, and I was like, this cannot be the same man's. This cannot be the same man's. And that just struck me. And then, you know, I started watching other stuff, you know, like Edward Scissorhands, and I was like, okay, I get it. But, like, taking Pirates of the Caribbean and then watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it just didn't add up in my child brain. It was too much to comprehend. Her pea-sized child brain could not wrap her head around the fact that Johnny Depp is an actor. Because he looks so different. I'd never seen an actor that looked that different. That's it. I mean, even in my adult brain. He, uh, he really tries, he transforms. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll give it to him. Oh, yeah. But, um, by the way, um, so that was Spooky Campfire Stories. We are having a Instagram giveaway for koozies. Yup. You know? So, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I would love to be sitting by, like, a bonfire or a campfire this summer drinking a beer and maybe or a, you know a truly or a coke whatever you drink mm-hmm. uh and you're like man i would love to you know keep, have a koozie to keep, keep this, this beverage <laughs> this. cold then we got the koozies for you mm-hmm. so we're going to put a post on instagram the day that this comes out so it'll be friday um we'll post the details of how you can win said koozies or koozie uh we'll post that on our instagram so just follow us there at gonna sound weird pod and we'll give you the details because guess what we haven't worked them out yet oh we do have we do have though the photo for said post we do we do have that um and you're if you're thinking sydney Taylor, what do you mean you don't have it worked out? Listen, I have a cold. Taylor had a wedding this weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, she got, you know, and we are not good at thinking of things. We just ain't good at thinking. Look, I'm if trying I'm to be honest. I'm trying to get my Walmart pool in shape. Brandon had to do surgery on our pump today. 
So, yeah. yeah. Taylor has to get the Walmart pool in her backyard <laughs> set up so that I can come over this weekend and sit in said Walmart pool. And on top of that, there is a chlorine shortage this summer. So, like, there is. you know, there's just a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but if you'd so. like to stick around for next week, we will be here. And our theme is, uh, we, it's the title's not, you know, whatever. The theme is, cr- like, hero stories. So, like, crazy stories where someone is the hero and it is like, you know, like a dog saves a bus full of children or something like that. You know? Shit pops off and someone emerges as a hero. Yeah. Even maybe. an unlikely hero. Uh-huh. Mo- I'm talking m- moms lifting trucks off their babies. Yep. Yep. That is the thing. Um, you know, something. Something crazy. It could be an anti-hero. Perhaps someone escapes prison only to save a baby. I don't know. I uh-huh. don't know. That is what you'll have to find out next week. True. Because we have to research these stories. And if you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please five stars. Somebody did. I'm not going to say who because I don't know who did give us three stars. And that hurt. Now, technically, we still have a five-star rating because that three stars did not bring us down. But that hurt. Three stars because that don't really mean much. What does that mean? If you don't give me no critique, I don't know what it means. So please give us five stars to help with this hurt in my heart over that three-star review i'm just gonna think that somebody accidentally clicked the wrong number that could be that could be and if you do have critiques email email us, us <laughs> this go this is gonna sound weird at gmail.com or instagram message us at gonna sound weird pod mm-hmm. all right is that it all right that is it we will see you hopefully next week Uh Uh-huh. Bye. Please, for the love of God, stay weird. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye.